going on, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 114 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network. The NHL draft is complete. It is Thursday afternoon right now. The draft went really quickly on day two. It seemed like those GMs are trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. And now we're going to have a really quick turnaround with NHL free agency opening up Saturday at noon. So in the meantime, I wanted to try to squeeze one of these in so that we could react to the draft and then look ahead to what might be coming this weekend. I have to start also by apologizing. I'm very sorry that I did not get this podcast to you sooner. My original plan was to upload one on Tuesday with a guest who is going to help us preview the draft. But I have to be real with you guys here. I mentioned last week that I was going on my bachelor party. I spent four nights in South America with a handful of my best friends. We had a blast, an amazing time, beautiful beaches, all kinds of cool stuff and new experiences and historic landmarks and really, really fun stuff that we saw along the way. Of course, some partying, as I'm sure you guys already knew, and amazing, amazing food. We ate like kings the entire time that we were there, all kinds of fresh seafood, some of the most delicious steaks that I've ever had. They don't apparently in a lot of these countries use preservatives in their meat, and you can really taste the difference versus what we get here in the States. And some of these places were also really known for their street meat and their street food and all kinds of fried stuff and different sauces and delicious. It was great. But the night that I got home on Sunday night, no sooner did I walk in the door to my house and I could tell something wasn't right. And I went through two plus days of really bad food poisoning. I'm not sure exactly what it was. You know, I kind of leaned toward maybe the street meat or leaned toward maybe what I ate on the airport on the way back. I don't know for sure, but something wasn't right. And I was pretty much bedridden for a couple days. I honestly did not think I was going to get to a podcast at all this week. I was writing from my bed and texting and trying to make little phone calls where I could to try to prep for the draft as best as I could. And that's why you did see a handful of stories come out this week, but I was not in top form. I was not able to do as much work as I wanted to do. And I certainly didn't think that I was in any kind of condition to do the podcast. But the good news is, the last 24 hours or so, I've been feeling much better, back to eating normal foods, back to pretty much getting around and feeling like I have my normal strength and energy. So as the second day of the draft was going on today, I felt like I would have a little window this afternoon to be able to squeeze this in. So let's chat for a bit. This is going to be a quick hitter. It's been a busy few days and my time is limited because I have to keep working on more free agency stuff. I already just finished my free agency preview, which is going to be coming out on Friday morning at lohud.com slash sports slash rangers. So definitely be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, let's chat for a little bit. It's just going to be us today. Did not have time to line up a guest on this short notice because again, I thought I was gonna have to wait till next week altogether to get a pod. But 
happy to do it now and hope this finds you guys at a time where you're kind of itching for a little more content, digesting the draft, and then looking ahead to free agency. And we're going to start with the draft, and then we'll sort of do a second segment where we talk about the free agency stuff. And the big news for the draft, of course, with the Rangers is their first overall selection, Gabe Perot. Now, they made five selections overall, but they only had one in the first two rounds, one in the first 89 picks of the draft, and that was Gabe Perot at number 23. And to me, these things are always difficult to come and judge right off the bat. I don't like handing out draft grades or anything along those lines because the truth is we are not going to know how these picks turn out for a number of years moving forward. You go back to, let's say, the 2020 draft. Alexi Lafreniere and Braden Schneider go in the first round. Seemed like amazing picks at the time, but here we are three years later, and we still feel like we don't have conclusive answers on exactly what those players are going to be. And then you look further down the line that draft, there's still a lot more question marks as far as what those guys are going to turn into as well. So I'm not going to draw any overarching conclusions here, but here is what I can say. Pretty much everybody that I've spoken with views this pick as an absolute home run for the Rangers. It goes so far as to the point where while I was prepping for the draft and I wrote a story on Monday, again, from my bed, that was all about the players that I was hearing about or the players that I thought made logical sense that the Rangers might target with pick number 23. Perot is a guy that I asked about and pretty much everybody that I asked was like, I don't think he's going to be there at 23. And even you look at a lot of the rankings, some of my favorite guys like Chris Peters, who you've heard on this show before, Scott Wheeler, who you've heard on this show before. I believe both of those guys had him ranked within their top 12. I know Bob McKenzie did. So this is a guy that most people considered borderline top 10, minimum top 15 pick in this draft. Yet he slipped and he fell. And I tweeted it when the Rangers were about six picks out. This is a name to monitor. If this guy keeps falling, it's going to be really hard for the Rangers to pass up on him. Lo and behold, he kept falling. Another name that was sticking out to me in the falling process was Oliver Moore, who from a fit standpoint, I think would have been even more of a slam dunk for the Rangers because not only does he play center, but this is a guy with tremendous speed. Some people called him the fastest player in the draft. So as Moore was slipping and Perot, both from the U.S. National Team Development Program, by the way, my antenna was up saying if either one of those guys gets to the Rangers, I'm really curious what they're going to do. Now, Moore ends up getting picked up by the Chicago Blackhawks at pick number 19. What a first round they had getting Connor Bedard, number one overall, and then snagging Moore, another guy that people saw as a borderline top 10 pick, maybe the fastest player in the draft at number 19. Huge haul for Chicago, no doubt about it. But Perot kept sliding. And in talking to people about it now, there are really two things that I think made him slip in the fashion that he did. Number one is even though his production was tremendous, he had 132 points last season with the development program, which broke the program's all-time record. He surpassed Austin Matthews by 15 points. Right behind Matthews was Jack Hughes. So that's pretty good company 
that Perot is keeping, and he is the guy who shattered those records and is now the single-season scoring leader in the U.S. development program's history. So that's very impressive. But a lot of people pointed to, well, look at the talent around him. The line that he was playing on had two guys that were selected in the top eight of this draft. One, <coughs> excuse me, was Will Smith, who was taken number four overall by the, I want to say, San Jose Sharks. That was it. And the other being Ryan Leonard, who was taken number eight overall by the Washington Capitals. So you have two high-end talents playing on the same line as Perot, who a lot of people felt like, as far as the measurables were concerned, the physical traits were concerned, exceeded him. People, I think, looked at that. I'm sure teams looked at that and wondered, well, how much was he a product of his environment? And then the other knock on him is, as I just touched on a little bit, the physical traits. Not considered a great skater by any stretch, certainly not a burner, and a little skinny for his size. He's listed at five foot eleven, but only weighs 163 pounds, according to NHL.com. So those were some of the concerns that caused him to slip. But one thing that pretty much nobody will deny is that not only was his production off the charts, which tells you there's a lot of skill and a lot of offense in the tank with this young player. But on top of that, everybody raves about whether you want to call it hockey IQ, smarts, awareness, all of that. This is a guy who, and granted, I've watched a bunch of highlights in the last handful of days. I can't tell you I've watched full games of his, so a lot of this is to be determined by my own eyes. But from what I've heard from scouts and experts, and I've spoken to a handful of people about this, everybody raves about the way that this guy thinks the game, the way that he reads the game, his creativity, his craftiness. Excellent passer by all accounts. He's a guy who reads the ice really well and, and finds players and sees passes where it seems like the average prospect might not. Has a really advanced way of developing plays and thinking about ways to score, but also has a really good left-handed wrist shot and, and a nice quick release and some good hands, which 53 goals this season tells you that's probably got to be true. This guy also led the team in goals this year while playing with Oliver Moore and Ryan Leonard and Will Smith and these other first-round draft picks who were all taken ahead of him. Now, again, these other guys, if you're measuring how fast are they, how strong are they, those kind of aspects of their game, they have Perot beat there. But as a development project, this is not a kid who's expected to step right into the NHL. He's going to Boston College where actually he's going to play with Smith and Leonard. Very curious to see if they all end up on the same line again there at BC. But the Rangers, it does not sound like are planning to rush him. I would expect him to play at least two years in college. Maybe it even ends up being three if they feel like physically he needs a little more time. Now, of course, those plans can change if he goes there and he absolutely lights it up. But this does not sound like a guy who has certainly any chance of being in the lineup next season. You can rule that out. But even the, the season after that, I think, would be a stretch. So you can have a little patience here. You can take your time. And if that high-end production 
And that high-end way of processing and thinking about the game translates to the college level. Well, then you start to really rub your hands together and get excited. And the truth is that at that stage of the first round, at pick number 23, to be able to snag a guy who a lot of people feel like if he hits is going to be a true top six winger in the NHL, a guy who can be dynamic, who can help your team put the puck in the back of the net at a high level. Well, that to me is absolutely a risk worth taking. You could have went in the direction of a safer quote unquote pick. You know, you could have drafted a little more for need by looking at a center, a guy who was there that a handful of people that I spoke to were pretty high on was Caleb Ritchie, who is a player that was described to me as a kind of a two-way guy, a reliable center in all ends, definitely contributes some offense, but also reliable defensively, good on face-offs, can do some penalty killing. A guy who's well-rounded and had all these sort of aspects to, to his game. And he ended up going four picks later to the Colorado Avalanche at number 27. So maybe if Perot wasn't there, that would have been the guy that you target as the Rangers. and makes a lot of sense for you. If you were Chris Drury and John Lilly, who are the guys that ultimately were pulling the trigger in this draft. But I love making the upside play here. And it's something that in recent years, the Rangers have maybe shied away from a little bit. They thought they got their high-end talents when they got Capo Caco in 2019 and Alexi Lafreniere in 2020. And what you've seen them do in the last few drafts is sort of go for guys that I don't know if you want to call them role players or have specific skill sets. We've definitely seen them attack drafts looking for a little more of that grit, a little more of that hard to play against kind of mentality. That's certainly the type of pick that Adam Sakura was last year when they got him in the second round and Will Cooley a couple years before that. They've had a lot of these guys in the last few years that I think were geared more to be sort of bottom six helpers, guys that they hope can become NHL players but aren't exactly going to be big-time producers or potential stars, that sort of a thing. I'm not saying Perot is going to be a star, but I do believe that there is more upside here than maybe what you would have done if you would have went with a safer pick and maybe what we've seen them do in years past. So I love taking a big swing on a guy like that, and again – I mean, you look at any of the various rankings, and I mentioned a few of the guys who I trust the most when it comes to that stuff. They all had this guy like top 12. So to see him fall to 23, part of you is scratching your head a little bit and saying, hmm, what do these other teams know that maybe we don't know? Why are they hesitant to to make this guy the pick when everybody else seems to think so highly of him? But once he gets into that 23 range where the Rangers are sitting and the really high upside kids are pretty much all off the board at that point. Well, why not take the risk? And and the other thing that you definitely need to consider here is that the Rangers on this new coaching staff that they recently named under Peter LaViolette did hire Dan Muse, who was Perot's coach at the U.S. National Development Program and has a lot of familiarity with this guy. So you have to be sure that before they went into draft night, they spoke at length about him and any other national team uh, development program guys that they were interested in and got his stamp of approval and got his feedback on what is this guy like? Do you think he can be an NHL player? And it seems like he 
clearly was high on this guy because the Rangers very quickly, when their pick came up on the clock on Wednesday night, walked right up there and proudly announced Perot's name. So again, it'll be years before we find out just how good this player can be. But right now, you got to feel really good about the pick. And you got to feel really good about the philosophy of going for a high-skilled, highly productive guy who profiles, if he hits, as a guy who can fortify your top six and be a, a really productive player for you if things click. So that is, I believe, and definitely from the feedback we're getting from Rangers fans here, it was a great way for them to start. Fans were thrilled. I've never seen such uniform happiness from this fan base or rarely have seen this kind of uniform happiness from the fan base. I mean, the the previous time I can think about it is when they landed the number one pick to get Lafreniere or when they signed a big guy like Panarin. And those are the only other things that really come to mind for me. But as far as this point in the draft, a later first round pick, everybody seemed to be thrilled about this one. And so for the time being, kind of harmony out there. When you talk to the Rangers fans, they are very happy about this pick. You know, some might nitpick the need thing a little bit. Now, I also want to clarify this while I have a second here. Perot almost exclusively, or from my understanding, pretty much exclusively played left wing for this national team development program. He was on the left side of that line with Will Smith in the middle and Ryan Leonard on the right. And that could very well be his line in college with all three of those guys set to go to BC. Everybody I talked to leading up to the draft referred to him as a left winger. Now, it's possible that maybe as a kid or a young kid, he had some time at right wing. And I did have a scout tell me on Wednesday night that because of the smarts and the hockey IQ that we talked about, that he could very easily see him switching to the right side. But all of the tape that people were watching on him from this past season, which was his record-setting season, which was the season that really put him on the map as a first-round type of draft pick, well, he was playing left wing at that point. So that's why in my story I listed him as the left wing, and that is how we're proceeding. But, of course, that doesn't mean he's boxed in and he has to play left wing. And the other thing to consider here is that we just talked about how he's probably not in play for the Rangers for another two or three years. So who knows what their depth chart will look like at that point. Right now, we know they're overloaded on the left side, but it's not a concern as far as a guy that you're drafting right now because we don't know what the situation is going to be when he's NHL ready. So that will have time to play itself out. It's more of an immediate concern for guys like Brennan Othman and Will Cooley who are trying to crack the NHL roster this coming season because those guys have all that experience on the left side and we know that they're blocked right now by Panarin, Kreider, and Lafreniere. So much more of a concern for them than it is for Perot. I can tell you that I will have a chance to get to know him much better next week at development camp. And that will be one of the questions that I ask him. Did you play much right wing when you were a kid? How comfortable are you on that side where you only moved to the left because of the talent of the other guys on your line? I'll do a little more digging and get to the bottom of that and report back to you guys once I get a chance to talk to him because the development camp setting will be hopefully pretty relaxed and hopefully be able to, you know, sit down and chat with him and, and get to know him a little bit better. And that'll certainly be one of the questions that I ask about, but I don't think it's something that we should be making a very big deal about at this point. As for the rest of the Rangers draft, 
They end up taking a pair of defensemen with their next two picks. The next one didn't come until the third round. It was originally scheduled for number 91 overall, but the Rangers traded a 2024 seventh round pick to the Pittsburgh Penguins to jump up one spot. Obviously, they must have been concerned that somebody else was targeting this kid. They take a left-handed defenseman by the name of Drew, and I hope I'm not going to mess up these pronunciations for these last handful of guys, but Drew Fortescue, who also comes from the U.S. National Team Development Program. And interestingly enough, this raised my antenna right away. This is a local kid. He's from Pearl River, New York, right over the Tappan Zee Bridge, or I'm sorry, Mario Cuomo Bridge in Rockland County. He went to Don Bosco Prep for a couple years in New Jersey and then ended up going and playing for the National Team Development Program for the last couple seasons. My understanding on this guy is that he's mostly a stay-at-home defenseman. He had a little uptick as far as his offensive production this past season. Ended up getting, I think it was 25 or 26 assists in 62 games. Only scored one goal. Doesn't have a big time shot or anything like that. Doesn't sound like the type of guy who's seen as a power play quarterback or anything like that. Mostly a a defense first defenseman. A steady guy who doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. Positioning is really sound. Gap control is good. Those type of things. And and the, the belief is that he made some really positive strides this past season. He's over six foot tall, definitely needs to fill out his frame a little bit, but athletic. It sounds like a pretty solid skater, a pretty mobile guy, and the Rangers obviously thought highly of him and wanted to prioritize snagging him in that spot. And then they had to wait until the fifth round to make their next pick at number 152 overall. But this is a guy, as far as defensemen go, who profiles a little more offense in the tank. Rasmus Larsson comes from Sweden. He had, in total, between regular season and playoffs, 19 goals in Sweden last season. Basically averaged one goal every three games played. Apparently has a pretty good left-handed shot. I think I have a little video of one of his left-handed wrist shots that I put in our draft tracker today. And and he's also a, a big body, six foot three. 200 pounds. So there are some tools to build on there. It sounds like his defense needs work. A lot of times you hear that about European defensemen because they're used to playing on these big open sheets of ice where they don't have to do a whole lot of close range defending, or at least not to the level that you do once you start playing the North American game. And certainly once you turn pro. So that's obviously something that he's going to need time to develop. But interestingly, this is a kid who's going to Northern Michigan University next season. And so he's coming over to the U.S. I think that should be helpful as far as helping him adapt and adjust over here and and maybe make him pro ready a little bit sooner. 19 years old already as well, so a little bit older than your average draft prospect. But this is a guy who, again, has some tools that the Rangers like as far as the shot and as far as the size. Last two guys, sixth round picks. They were, I think, five picks apart. Number 178 overall, center Dylan Robrek, who was by my, I did a quick search. I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. Tied for the tallest guy in the draft. Six foot seven, 206 pounds, which, you know, that was a theme for the Rangers in, in recent years, especially with some of these later draft picks. They seem to really go for size 
And from what I understand, he's a guy that does a lot of the things you want to see a big player do, gets to the gritty areas, drives the nets, definitely plays physical. Uh, one of the one of the clips that I found was of him laying somebody out. And another clip that I found was of him dropping the gloves and fighting, but also had some production offensively. He had 53 points in 68 games for the Oshawa Generals in the OHL last season, which is only six points fewer than a guy we talked about who was a first-round pick on the same team in Kalem Ritchie. So interesting for a big guy to be putting up points like that. Now, obviously, that's only in the junior level. I highly doubt that point production will translate as he moves up the line. This certainly profiles as a big body for your bottom six if he ever makes it to the NHL. Anybody you're picking in this range, let's be clear, is going to be a long shot. But some interesting tools there and certainly fits the mold of the size that the Rangers have looked for in recent years. And then the final draft pick is Ty Hendricks. He's a winger who played in the USHL last season, did not have a very productive season in the USHL last year. I think only had 19 points in close to 50 games. So you wonder what's going on there. But then if you look at his earlier stats like his U16 stats. Now, I'm really reaching back with that. I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock into that, but U16, this guy was like 120 something points in 60 games. So, maybe something went on last season that the Rangers know about that we don't that leads them to believe that I don't know if it was an injury or something he was dealing with personally or whatever it might be that there was some reason that he wasn't very productive in the USHL, but this is a dude who is big and strong, six foot four, two hundred and five pounds. And the the highlights that I found of him are pretty much him laying dudes out. I put that clip in the uh, in the draft tracker as well. This is a dude who is not afraid to get physical and throw the body around, and looks like he made some of those young kids pay. If you look at that highlight reel, so that is the twenty twenty three Rangers draft class again. All those guys are long shots to make it to the NHL except for Perot. And Perot, you have to love because the Rangers made a big upside play there. And, and I think went in a direction that we haven't always seen them go when they're in that type of position, sort of in the middle to late portion of the first round or early second round. They, they tend to target more specific skill sets in that range as opposed to just going for the guy who has the most skill and the most upside. But Perot certainly fit the bill, and Perot's a guy that, from what I'm understanding so far, a lot of people are excited about. All right, with that, I'm going to do a quick little break, and then we're going to transition to our final segment. All right, so free agency opens up Saturday. And as you all know, Cap space is incredibly tight for the Rangers. I feel like I've repeated this weekly on this podcast for a month or so now, but I'll say it one more time. The Rangers right now are looking at 11.7, a little more than that, million dollars in cap space with anywhere from six to nine roster spots to fill. We all kind of expect it'll be eight. So very, very limited on cash flow right now or not necessarily cash flow. It's not like the team itself doesn't have cash flow, but money that they're allowed to spend on players. So the only way, as we've talked about endless times now, for them to clear cap space because of all the guys that have the no movement clauses in their contract 
The only rumor that I've heard about what they might do if they decide that they really need to clear some cap space to make whatever roster moves they want to make is either trading or buying out Barclay Goodrow. I, I hate to keep talking about this, but we're right on the precipice of finally getting an answer on this, so I want to address it one final time. I can tell you I'm not sensing much of a market for a Goudreau trade. If you've paid attention to what's been happening in the league this week, anybody who's wanted to clear salary has had to pay a pretty price in assets to attach to that player to convince another team to take him. In some of these cases, it's not even a player that you you really want to get rid of or a player that has no value anymore, but teams sort of smell blood in the water. And the few teams that have cap space are weaponizing it and requiring the many teams that need cap space to give up a draft pick or something valuable if they're going to agree to take on this salary that you want to get rid of. And I've, as I've said previously, I don't believe the Rangers are willing to do that. They still appreciate and value this player in an ideal situation. They would like to keep this player. And therefore, unless it's like, you know, sixth, seventh round pick or something that really is not of much consequence, I do not see them giving up. Like, for example, we just saw the Islanders give up a second round pick to get rid of Josh Bailey. The Rangers are not going to do that with Barclay Gaudreau. So right now, the chances of a trade are feeling not that great to me. That leaves the buyout option, and the clock is ticking on that. Let me make sure I apologize here because I did cause a little confusion inadvertently on Thursday. I had checked with a source on Thursday morning to just clarify. I Anybody that has a no movement clause in their contract does not need a clear waivers to be bought out. But Goudreau, because he has a partial no trade clause, which is different from a no movement clause, he does have to be put on waivers in order to be bought out. Now, when a player is placed on waivers, there's a 24-hour period where any team can claim that player. And that process needs to be completed before you are allowed to buy a player out. Meanwhile, the first window for buying a player out is closing at 5 p.m. on Friday. So with the understanding that a player needs to be on waivers for 24 hours before you can buy him out, and with my source confirming that Goudreau did need to go on waivers before the Rangers could even think about buying him out, I asked my source, so that would mean he needs to go on waivers today, right? Now, the response was yes. And after that, once I found out that the Rangers hadn't put anybody on waivers Thursday, I put out a tweet that read, the Rangers didn't place anybody on waivers today. That's an indication that they're not planning on buying out Goudreau. Source got back to me pretty quickly after that and said, my bad, I didn't read the part where you said today. So it was a miscommunication. It was definitely a fudge up on my part. I apologize to anybody who I confused on that. Apparently, the way that it was explained to me after that is that even though the buyout window will close only five hours after the noon waiver time on Friday, apparently, I don't know if it's a loophole or whatever you want to call it, if 
you put a player on waivers on the day that the buyout window closes, you can sort of commit that once he clears or if he clears, you will then process the buyout. And I guess it sounds like you would be allowed to do that on Saturday. Sometimes I feel like they make this stuff more confusing than it needs to be, but that's probably a conversation for another day. But that is what was explained to me afterwards from a league source that is the way that this would work. So whereas initially we thought that he would have to go on waivers by Thursday at noon in order to be eligible for a buyout, now it turns out the real hard deadline is Friday at noon in order to be bought out by technically Saturday, but really the buyout window closes at five. So I guess they sort of declare their intentions to buy him out once they put him on waivers. So that's something that we're still going to have to monitor. Do they put him on waivers by Friday afternoon? And if so, if they do put him on waivers, then that would be a clear sign that they do intend to buy him out. The question now is, whether they end up deciding that it's a necessity to do that in order to do whatever else they feel they need to fill out this roster. If they keep him, they're basically locked in with only being able to sign players who make around the veteran minimum and relying on promoting prospects from within to fill out those roster spots. And again, there's eight roster spots to fill. Two of those, you figure, are going to Keandre Miller and Alexi Lafreniere, who are both restricted free agents, but that still leaves you with six spots to fill. And if you don't either buy out Goudreau or find other ways to clear salary, you're going to be looking at four, five, six million to fill about six spots. So that is really, really tight. And again, you're going to have incredibly low-cost free agents, who are going to help you do that, your Johnny Brodzinski types, your Greg McKaig types, and you're going to have to look at promoting prospects. If that happens, that bodes well for the chances of guys like Brennan Othman and Will Cooley and Zach Jones to make this roster next year. Maybe they could squeeze one free agent in who makes somewhere in the $1 to $2 million range, But that all depends on where they end up specifically with Miller and his new contract, which doesn't seem to be particularly close right now. As I've told you guys before, I think it's a pretty wide range with Miller. It could be anywhere from three and a half million dollars or so to over four and a half, close to five million dollars. I've heard all kinds of stuff on that. And again, it seems like it's a pretty broad negotiation right now. And it's going to be really interesting to see where that contract lands. But that will determine exactly how much wiggle room they have. And then maybe if they end up a little lower with Miller, then that would give them the wiggle room to go out and sign a free agent who makes 1.5 or maybe at most close to $2 million a year. But that would be their big free agent signing. And that's it. If they, on the other hand, were to buy out Goudreau, which would give them over $3.8 million in additional cap space this coming season, or if they find some other miraculous way to cut salary that we're not seeing, then there are a handful of free agents who they might target. I have a new story, as I mentioned, coming out on Friday morning that breaks it all down. I, I can run through some of the names really quickly now. We know that they're going to be looking for guys who can play right wing 
and or centers, because if you get centers, then that gives you the flexibility to maybe move other guys to right wing. And Jesper Faust is a guy that we've talked about. I know a lot of Rangers fans would be really excited to see him come back, but he made $2 million last year. And we've already said $2 million is probably too rich for the Rangers. And I've heard that he might be looking for a little bit more than that. Who knows if he gets it, but he's a guy that might be a bit of a long shot because of the price tag. Noel Achari is a guy who does a lot of the things that Peter Laviolette is going to want from his bottom six. Four checks really hard, good skater, kills penalties, wins faceoffs. So he's a guy that I think would make a lot of sense. Only made $1.25 million last season. So if you can get him at a number around that, a very appealing possibility. Nick Bukestead is a guy that we talked about on the podcast around the trade deadline. I believe the Rangers had some interest in him before they ended up pulling off the Patrick Kane deal. Big center, six foot six. The problem with him is scored 17 goals last season. So his salary could be coming up. He only made 900,000, which would be a really appealing number for the Rangers. But coming off of a season where he had an uptick like that in offensive production, you could definitely see him asking for a pretty sizable raise. Now, is that 1.5 1.5 million or is it 2.5 million? I'm not sure, but he's the guy that if the price tag is low enough, I think would be a really nice fit for the Rangers. And then I would look at some of the guys who played for Laviolette with the Capitals and, and bring some of those hardworking elements that Laviolette wants and could possibly take them to New York. My favorite among those guys is Garnett Hathaway. I think I mentioned that last week. Dude's got size, toughness. Plenty of grit, good defensive player, plays on the penalty kill. And he's pretty much consistently been a guy who scores double-digit goals. So enough skill there where he could play on your third line and you'd be comfortable with it. Also a pretty fierce fighter when it comes to that. So he'd be a guy that I'd be really interested in. I believe he made $1.5 million last season. Connor Brown is a guy who played very limited time for Laviolette in Washington because he tore his ACL Early on in the season last year, I was actually on the phone with him a couple weeks ago when I was writing that feature on Chris Knobloch. I did not ask him if he's coming to the Rangers, but he's a guy that I wonder, you know, usually his price tag would be too high, but coming off that ACL surgery, is he looking for one of those one-year type of deals where he just wants to show the league that he's back and he can be a contributor? And Lars Eller is a guy who was really effective for the Capitals at times in their bottom six Another guy who plays hard, plays multiple positions, and could plug a hole. And I think he would definitely be in the Rangers' price range. So those are some of the forward names that I kind of have my eye on right now. The Rangers also could use a left-handed defenseman. Oliver ekman Larson is a guy that was just bought out by the Vancouver Canucks. 32 years old, coming off of a couple down years with Vancouver. But maybe there's a chance for the Rangers to buy low. I mean, this guy's making eight point something million dollars this year because of the buyout. So maybe if you're the Rangers, you can come in and offer him a low contract, give him a chance at redemption and throw another veteran who at times in the past has been very effective. So that would be a guy that I would monitor. Sort of a pipe dream. I've thrown this name out there a few times is Carson Soucy. He was a, a pretty solid, sturdy reliable defenseman for the Seattle Kraken on that run that they had last season. A big dude, still pretty young at 28 years old. He brings all those elements that I think the Rangers want from their bottom pair. But quite frankly, I think he's going to be a bit out of their price range. 
And then if they can't get a guy like that, they're probably going to have to really go bargain hunting. And, you know, some of the names, as you look at the left-handed defensemen who are going to be free agents and, you know, might come in close to a veteran's minimum or 800,000, 900,000, something like that. A guy like a Nick Holden or an Eric Gustafson, those names don't excite you too much. To be honest, the guy that I ended up putting in my story, and I'm sure that some of you are probably going to laugh about this, but it's Mark Stahl. Just played a full 82-game season with the Florida Panthers. Went on that nice playoff run with them. Of course, he's got his flaws. Of course, you cannot overexpose him, especially not at this stage of his career. But his analytics were actually solid last season. Whether it's actual goals for, expected goals for, shot share, Corsi, all of this stuff was over 51% for him last season. And to me, it would just be a nice story. Maybe this is the the reporter and me wanting the, the, the cool story, the comeback story. But to me, it would be poetic to see him come back and finish his career in New York. And this is also a guy where if you sign him, he'll sign for the veterans minimum, no doubt about it, at this stage. And you don't have to guarantee him anything. He can compete with Zach Jones and Ben Harper or whoever else is in the mix. And if he wins that sixth defenseman spot, great. If he's a seventh defenseman, fine. If you end up cutting him, that's fine too. So they, they in all likelihood, I think are going to have to go with someone in that low-level price range. And when I was looking through the options, I was like, you know what? I'm throwing Mark Stahl in the story. So that's not necessarily that I'm hearing he's coming back or anything like that. He's just a guy who I kind of thought, you know what? I know there's a lot of people in the organization who really respect him, and it would be a cool story. So I threw his name in there as well. And then the goalies. Listen, there are some backups out there who I think probably aren't the sexiest choices. With Yaro Halak right now, his agent, Alan Walsh, tweeted out the other day that it sounds like he's definitely testing the free agent market. So... It doesn't sound like there's anything very close with him and the Rangers right now, although I do think there's definitely interest on both sides. Side note, this has nothing to do with goalies. I should have mentioned this earlier, but I I also reported on Monday that I heard from a source that Tyler Mott, while there was initially some optimism that the Rangers might be able to get an extension done with him before he hit free agency, Everything I'm hearing now is pointing to him testing the market as well. So it sounds like him and the Rangers were not able to strike a deal. Again, with this precarious cap situation that the Rangers are in, I think they got to see how things play out before they make any decisions. And it sounds like they will not be making any kind of a deal with Mott. He will be testing free agency, but he, he does remain an option that you could throw in the mix with those other forwards who I mentioned before. I still think there is a chance that he's back. It's just it's not happening right now. Um, but then back to the goalies, the final thing I would say here before we kind of end the program, this could be an option for the Rangers. There is a way for them to sign a veteran as long as they're 35 years or older to a one year deal. And those 35 and older deals allow you to write performance bonuses into the contract that won't initially count against the cap. Now, if they hit those bonuses, then that would start counting for the cap immediately. But if the amount of those bonuses exceeds the cap space that you have in that moment, you don't have to drop that player off your roster. You get to keep him. It's just that excess cap penalty will roll over to next season. So let's say 
you owe him 200 or 300,000 more than you could afford based on your cap space at that moment, well, then you would just have a 200 or $300,000 cap hit for the season after. And I think that's something that the Rangers could willingly stomach. And if you look at some of the 35 and older crowd, Halak being one of them, there's a number of names out there. A lot of people are talking about Jonathan Quick. That would be pretty crazy to see him come to New York after he beat them in the cup final almost a decade ago. Uh, Cam Talbot, another guy that we're familiar with, falls into that category. Thomas Grice, James Reamer, Simone Varlamov. There's a number of goalies who are in that 35 or older category, and the Rangers could say, hey, we'll give you a $900,000 contract or a $1 million contract, but we'll right X number of performance bonuses in here for you, probably performance bonuses that are pretty easy for them to achieve to sort of be a carrot at the end of the stick for these guys. And then if they hit those performance bonuses, you you pay what you can based on your cap space at the time, and then the rest of it rolls over to next season. So that is an option that I think could very well be the route that the Rangers end up going. There's a few other guys in there who are sort of middle of the road backups You could also maybe look at who some of the top AHL goalies were last season and and try to go down that path, although I think that's unlikely. I think the Rangers are going to want someone a little more proven than that. But they do not have a whole lot of money to spend on goalies. And as you guys know, they do not have a whole lot of money to spend on pretty much anybody. So that is where they stand with that. I don't think we're going to end up seeing some of the big splashes that maybe we're used to seeing from this team at the trade deadline, or maybe you'd like to see from this team. I shouldn't say trade deadline at free agency. We're going to have to see. The reality with this team is unless they're going to do something drastic, like trade the kids, you know, Lafreniere, Kako, Heedle, one of those guys, which I frankly don't see them doing. They've made their bed with this core. When they locked up a lot of these guys to long-term contracts, and some of it was Jeff Gordon, he signed Artemi Panarin, he traded for Jacob Truba, he gave Chris Kreider the extension, but a lot of it has been Drury as well. He gave the extension to Mika Zibanejad, he gave the big extension to Adam Fox, he went out and signed Vincent Trocek to that seven-year deal. By doing that, they have essentially said, we feel that we can win with this core these veterans leading the way. Now, the other big piece of that puzzle is growth from the kids. I think when they made a lot of these signings, they were also expecting that the young prospects who they'd accumulate would round out the roster and some of them would turn into really high impact players. And that when you combine them with that veteran core, that would be your championship formula on top of having Igor. Igor is obviously the ultimate X factor. All of this doesn't work if he's not his usual brilliant self, but that you feel like is probably the thing you can count on the most right now. It's that veteran core. Are they good enough to win a championship? And the kids, can they show enough growth to take some of the pressure off that veteran core? That is the bed that Chris Drury and the Rangers have made. For better or worse, they're going to either win a title with this group or come up short with this group. And They're hoping for a boost from Peter Laviolette. They're hoping he can milk more out of this roster, but ultimately it's going to fall on the players. And, you know, maybe we'll look back and we'll say they should have left themselves more wiggle room. It's certainly easy to say that right now, but 
you also, when they made the extension with Adam Fox or with Mika Zabatajad, or they decided to sign Artemi Panarin or some of these other things that they've done, at the time, those also felt like moves that a lot of people wanted them to make and felt like moves that they quite frankly should make. So, you know, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. But, you know, some of the more recent things, especially like the Trocheck deal, when they decide to go down that path, it was becoming increasingly clear with each one of these new big contracts that they gave out that they were locking themselves in and they weren't going to have a whole lot of flexibility moving forward. And that's the position that we're in. It's really more about the guys who are here getting it done than it is any kind of moves that they're going to be able to make this offseason. Of course, you'd love to see them be able to add at the margins, be able to find some role players who help elevate this roster and infuse it with speed and some of the other elements that we've talked about that we feel like they need more of. But they're going to have to get really creative to do some of that stuff, and they're certainly going to have to find some hidden gems. Diamond in the rough, low-cost kind of guys are what they need right now because they're not going to be able to make any big splashes barring something completely unforeseen. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. We'll see what happens once free agent starts. I'll certainly have it covered. I'm planning on sitting around my phone and my computer pretty much all day on Saturday, so I will keep you guys posted. And I will be back next week with a new episode. I'm going to wait for development camp to end before I hit you with that, so it'll probably come closer to the end of the week. I'll keep you posted on the timing for now. I want to thank everybody for listening. I love you all, and I will talk to you next week. Let's let James take us out of here.